We're here uh, continuing on in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And to get us started, I want you to think about one word that describes the, your pattern for following God's will. If you have a bulletin, you can get your notes out. You can write that word on here. Um, something else to let you know. Uh, you can go to the AIC website, go to the Gather tab, and you can get this worksheet online. Unfortunately, you can't fill it in online, but you can take notes somewhere else. But I do want you to write down a word or think about a word. What is one word that describes your pattern for following God's will? What one word comes to mind? I gave it some thought. You know, you can Google that question and actually get answers. These are some from Google, some that I thought of. We could have faithful, we could have thrilling, we could have exciting, knowing, friendship, or inconsistent, lacking, unsure, or a struggle. Or I think this person cheated. Roller coaster, I guess with the hyphen, makes it one word. What's the word you used? What's the word you used? I found it very interesting, the word that Luke used. Did you hear it when the scripture was read? It's resolutely. What does resolutely mean? Resolutely means an admirable, purposeful, determined, and unwavering manner. Jesus followed God's will resolutely in an admirable, purposeful, determined, and unwavering manner. Is that the word you used? Well, we're at a hinge point in Jesus' life as he's moving through Scripture. We're about two-thirds through his life. A hinge point, you know, a hinge on a door is where that door swings. Jesus is, is moving into a new section of, of his ministry. He's, he's, he's moving towards the cross. That door has swung that way. In, in the book of Luke, the next ten chapters will have Jesus going towards Jerusalem and doing different things here. Jesus is transitioning from introducing himself and establishing his teaching oftentimes to large crowds. He's done a lot of miracles. He's done a lot of teaching. And now he's very purposefully going towards the cross. Luke says, resolutely. He's going to the cross. The cross was the plan for his life. I asked you, what is the word that describes how you are carrying out God's will? God's will for Jesus was to go to the cross. And he resolutely went there. And what he's doing now is he's challenging the disciples to be transformed. Transformed. Two weeks ago when I preached, I used that word, changed from the inside. Changed in their thinking. Changed in their lifestyle. And so as Jesus is going to the cross... 
we find this passage, this verse, to start us off. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? You probably know. Jesus is going to Jerusalem now for the last time towards into his third year of ministry. Jesus is going to face the cross. He knew that. But yet he heads out resolutely. With determination, he had his priorities in in the right place. He had a schedule and a plan. And what was more important to him was God's plan than the pain or inconvenience. When Jesus was here on earth, he was fully man and fully God. He did feel the pain. And I wonder, have there been those transition points, those hinge points in your life. Sometimes we face them and they become a challenge for us. Actually, it's one of the things that we find in the life of the church is that people come back and seek God and end up in church when they face one of those hinge points in life. One of those turning points. When they have children, they realize, oh, I want my children to know God. I better start coming to church. But we face those times when we become very resolute. We face those times when we put our priorities in order because of the change that's going on. Do you remember what it was like when you started your university studies or went on to graduate school? Sometimes you became very focused because of what God was doing in your life. Sometimes there's a medical crisis. People who, who never ate right before, all of a sudden started eating right and exercising when they get a certain diagnosis or prognosis in their care. They change their life. Maybe there's a financial need. They, need to, they, they lost a job or they gained a new job and now they're able to focus and, and change what's going on in their life. There may be a family need. Something goes on where there's a crisis. And we help and focus our lives at that kind of time. I had one of those times in my life when I had to focus what God was doing in my life. You see, I had graduated from seminary and then I went to the state of Indiana where I was a youth pastor for four years. I was a full-time youth pastor. It was quite an experience. It was the, the, the church took me on. Um, it was my first time full-time in ministry like that. And uh, so I'm involved in ministry. And you know, when you're full-time, when that's your whole life, you get to do it again. If you make a mistake, you can kind of, well, let's try another way. Well, I had a unique experience. After being there for four years, God seemed to be calling us to the state of Pennsylvania where our families were from, and we started attending a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. I had a job elsewhere, and so we were looking for a church, and uh, you know, it, we ended up with this church. I still felt God calling me to be a youth pastor, and so I was sending out my resume. I was interviewing at different places, and 
I would go in sometimes to meet with the pastor at the Alliance Church and say, would you pray with me? We need to be praying and seeking God for what He wants because I don't feel like I'm supposed to just stay here in this other job. I feel that God's not left that call on my life. And so we prayed a number of times, and he was new to the church. He said, you know, when I was interviewing, the church told me that they would hire a youth pastor. And he wasn't asking me to do the job. He knew I was interviewing elsewhere. He said, would you help us write a job description? I want to take a job description to the, to the board, to the GC, and, and ask them if they would hire this person. The, the one qualification that we have is we can only afford 10 hours a week. We can only afford to pay for 10 hours a week. And so I started working on the job description. I started um, still going in and praying, and he knew that I was interviewing someplace else. And after the job description was written, it got approved by the board, the place where I was interviewing turned me down, and there was a period of time there, and then the pastor came to me and said, the board has approved the job description, would you like to do it? (laughs) So I got to write my own job description. And uh, the pastor said, remember, it's only 10 hours a week. Well, I had another full-time job. God arranged it that I could, um, I actually worked every other weekend because it was a hospital. Um, I arranged my life so that I worked second shift uh, on the weekends, could be there on Sunday mornings, and I ended up taking the job. But I remember very clearly one thing that I did is I told him when I was a youth pastor before, we had time to do it over again. This time we have to do it very intentionally. I didn't use the word resolutely then, but I think that's the word that that, that fits it. We had to have a purpose and a direction to what we were doing because when I was a youth pastor, I learned how Jesus did ministry. And one of the things that we did is we tried to apply the way Jesus did ministry to the way youth ministry was done. That whole process has led me to the point where it's now called, the material is now called four-chair discipleship. It impacted my life so much, looking at how Jesus did ministry, that I became very, very focused in what I did. I only had 10 hours a week, and I had another job. So I want to encourage us that as we face the trials in life, face the callings of God in our life to follow Him, that we take on the characteristic of doing it resolutely, with purpose, with direction, with intention for where we go. And so I want to give you a little bit of help, some things that I've thought of, some things uh, that I've found have helped me, help for setting out resolutely. In your note page, you can see it's H-E-L-P. In order to resolutely serve the Lord, our heart must be fully yielded to Jesus. We start there. We start with Jesus. We don't try to do the works to gain His favor. We come to Jesus. We give Him our heart. We know Him as Savior and Lord. And two weeks ago, I talked about saving faith and serving faith. 
We need both of those put together so that we have a heart that is fully yielded to Jesus. The E is to understand that we are equipped by God with spiritual gifts. Don't try to serve God in your own power. Realize, study the Scripture, find the gifts that God has. They're listed in Scripture. There's teaching that we can have. It's something that we can walk alongside you and help. But God has given every believer at least one spiritual gift. And when you operate and use that gift for God's glory, it works a whole lot better. Do you know your gift? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you know the gift or gifts, the spiritual gifts that God's given you? This is different than abilities. Some of you may have the ability to play the ukulele. But God could give you the gift, the spiritual gift, to use that for Him. Not, the, not that the ukulele, that's a talent. You know, you can, you can learn how to do that. Um, most of you could learn how to do that. I'd have trouble learning how to do that. A spiritual gift that God has for you. Do you know yours? When you operate in the gift that God's given you, it works a whole lot better. The L is to live aligned with the call of God. When you recognize the call of God on your life, that then changes everything. It changes your life. It gives purpose and direction for your life. And other things need to fall in line behind that. It's impossible to do God's will resolutely and not have your life in line with what God has called you, how God has called you to live. And the last one is pray continually. We find Jesus doing some of the biggest prayer times that we find in the Gospels as He's going to the cross. Look at John chapter 17. Look at the prayers that Jesus gives. He pours His heart out. When the disciples wonder where Jesus is, they know to look for Him at His favorite prayer spots. Prayer needs to be a continuous time of our life. Prayer is more than a laundry list of things that we want God to do. Prayer is a communing of our life with God where we hear His heart and He speaks to us. And so this is what I see going on in Jesus as He resolutely, Luke tells us that He is determined as He goes to Jerusalem, knowing the place that He's going to be is on the cross but he's going to be in the center of God's will. He's going to be doing what God has called him to. Now, I go to the next slide and the next section as we go on in Scripture here with a little bit of fear and trembling. Because I need to find out, first of all, look, look around, is there anyone sleeping? Because they can't be sleeping for the next minute here. Okay, Because if they're sleeping and they wake up in about five minutes and they don't hear this, they're going to get the wrong idea of the message. So make sure that they're awake. Make sure they're not on their phone. Okay? Of course, if they're reading the Bible on the phone, I'm sure that, that that's what's going on. Okay? 
Because you have to be awake to hear this part. What I'm going to talk about is five alternate approaches to doing God's will. These are not recommended approaches. Don't wake up about five minutes from now and say, Pastor Stan said we can do it this way. No, these are not the ways to do it. Okay, sometimes we want to see that. But the, the contrast is just absolutely striking because as Luke is writing the gospel, he talks about Jesus who's going in a resolute fashion, straight as an arrow, headed with purpose and direction. And the very next thing that happens in Scripture is we find five different ways of doing it that are wrong. It's in contrast. It's a different. And so we, an, an alternate approach. I mean, if a, if, a, if a highway is flooded, we take an alternate route, and that's okay. This is not okay when we do it a way that is not the way that God wants us to do it. And so I want you to just see these five other ways. People have some ideas and say, well, let's try it this way. And it's obviously the wrong way, not the way that God wants us to. And so the first one comes in, in the very next verse, Luke 9.52. Jesus sends some messengers on ahead to the Samaritan village to get things ready. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was headed to Jerusalem. Now, what's going on here? You have to understand a little bit of the culture of what's going on because we find out then that these people didn't want him coming to their, um, their city, their village of, of Samaria. There's a long history. If you go back through, this is why you, you learned all that Old Testament history. As you go through the Old Testament, we know that there was the nation of Israel. There was the southern part and the northern part. The southern part was called Judah. The northern part retained the name Israel. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. The ten tribes were the first ones who rebelled and quit following the way God wanted them to. They were also the first ones to be taken into captivity. The southern, uh, the southern kingdom fell too but it was later on. And what happened, one of the things, the way uh, the, the military tactics that they did at that time was they would deport the people and take them to the country that had conquered them. In this case, Persia, Babylonia, they're, they're going to that land. And they would take some of the people there and have them intermarry and become acculturated to that country. And that country would take some of their people to the conquered country and intermarry and, and, and get them thinking their ways of thinking. And so the culture became very blended. And it was more than just a blend of culture. It was a blend of the pagan ways of having pagan gods and having the true God. And as history went on for hundreds of years, we then have uh, what's the core of the northern kingdom would be Samaria. By the time Jesus is, is there, and it's hundreds of years later, the Samaritans and the Jews did not have much to do with each other. Matter of fact, we know the stories of when Jesus was going from the south to the north, he went around Samaria because that was the customary thing to do. But when he went through Samaria... 
he met a woman at the well. And one of the questions that she asked is, should we worship God in Jerusalem or on the mountain? And what had happened is they had decided that they were just going to disagree with this whole God thing. The first alternate, alternate way that I find is we disagree with the gospel itself and we just come up with our own plan. The Samaritans had drawn away from the truth of God and they came up with their own plan. Well, we're going to worship in the mountain. You can worship in the temple, that's fine. We'll worship in the mountain. And what ended up happening in that culture is they said, I don't want to do it God's way. I'm going to come up with my own way. And that happens many, many times today. It's not really sin, is it? Why? That's an old, archaic way of thinking. Because if there is no sin, I don't need a Savior. I can do it my way. I don't need to do it God's way. I can come up with my own plan. And that's what we find happening in this first approach. As I said, Jesus, you're resolutely going to Jerusalem. We don't want you here. You're probably going to be teaching things that we don't want to hear because it's going to disrupt the way that we want to live. Just a quick illustration. I know a lot of times you see my my water bottle here. It uh, helps me to uh, stay hydrated up here. I brought a little water bottle along this morning too. Um, And it looks pretty clear, doesn't it? I was surprised how clear that was. I got it out of the fountain out here. It's probably 98% pure. Anybody want to drink it? It's, it's fresh from... I didn't dip down in. I got it as it was <laughs> running out. It, it's got to be pretty pure, doesn't it? What do we do with God? Do we say, oh, it's almost there. It's almost the way you want me to do it, God. But I want to do this little bit my way. I'm drinking from this one. If this bottle's left up here, don't drink out of it. Okay, it's from the fountain out there. So, we're going to disagree with the gospel itself. We're just going to come up with our own gospel. Second way, we can get sidetracked from what you know is right. It's interesting what happens in, in the very next verse. Then the disciples James and John saw this. What did they see? They saw the Samaritans saying, we don't want you to come here. And they said, Lord, what do you want us to do? Now, these are the disciples that have been walking with Jesus for a while. They're trying to learn the way that Jesus does ministry. Jesus has been trying to teach them that you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not coming, Jesus is not coming to establish a kingdom that overthrows the Romans, but a kingdom that takes place in our hearts. Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus very clearly, remember these are not the way to do it. Jesus turned and rebuked them. They were not doing it God's way. We get sidetracked from what we know is right. 
We can't do God's will unless we do it God's way. And so James and John, they, they continued on as disciples. God didn't uh, um, you know, totally put them aside, uh, but he had to let them know that this was not the way to do it. And so when God is calling you, God is calling me to do something for him. We need to do it God's way. Now the next one, we get into these, these three um, responses that come here. I want to kind of look at it a little bit. The first thing that I see is some short-term thinking. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Man, this would be great. We're getting people signed. Put, sign them up. Papers in the, on the back table. Sign them up. We got another volunteer. But Jesus wants to remind him a little bit about what it's like once you sign up. He said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And what's going on is the man is looking at the short term, the comfortable, instead of the long term, the eternal. He's making the lifestyle of the present more important than the priorities of eternity. Comforts or preferences become the priority. Oh, the bed's too small, the food's not right, it's too hot, it's too cold, the aircon doesn't work, it doesn't fit with my time, I have to wake up too early, it doesn't fit with my schedule. I can't do that, God. We had, um, uh, I told you I was a youth pastor. This is where I was uh, at Elizabethtown, um, Elizabethtown in Pennsylvania. We have all kinds of Elizabeth here in Hong Kong, not named for the same person, but I lived in that town. I was a youth pastor there. And one of the things that we ended up doing is we went on a number of trips with the teenagers, including some missions trips. And I had two children of my own. At that time, they were in grade four and grade six. And I just felt like God was saying to us that we needed to do something with them intentionally in ministry. It's not just dad's always going off with someone else's kids. And so we decided that uh, we, we found out about a missions trip to Puerto Rico, Nelson. <laughs> we found out about a, a missions trip there and that we could take our children on. And so we joined in this missions trip with about eight other people to go to the mountains in central Puerto Rico, beautiful place, to work on an alliance church on top of the mountain. And we knew that one of the things that we wanted to do was to teach our children that it's going to be different there, and our purpose is to be of help to this church. That was the resolute purpose for what we were going for. And we wanted our children to know that the bed may not be as comfortable. The food's not going to taste the same. You may even be sleeping on a concrete floor. We don't know what we're going to eat. We, need to, we don't know what the schedule's going to be like. They may eat late at night and we're used to, to eating another time. The, it's, it's just going to be totally different. But we're going to do that because that's the purpose of what we're going for. We wanted to prepare them. So we got them all prepared. We landed in Puerto Rico. 
they started dividing us up into the homes, and they ended up sending us to an orthopedic surgeon's home. He had a full flat in his basement with beds in it and uh, our own little kitchenette and everything and a swimming pool in the backyard. We were suffering. (laughs) But the point is that we wanted to prepare our kids, we wanted to prepare ourselves, that we're thinking purpose is more important than the comfort of what's going on because it's long-term when we're talking God's will. It's short-term when we talk doing it our way. Now, the, the next excuse... The next way of doing things is probably one of the hardest. One of the hardest to explain because it's, it, it's simply these words. He said to another man, follow me. But that man said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It seems awfully harsh. It seems like Jesus is saying things that even go against Scripture because one of the Ten Commandments tells us to honor our father and mother. But what's going on here? I think, I think one of two things or maybe both is going on. Number one, I think it could be that Jesus is simply showing us the contrast between what he calls us to and the desires that sometimes pull us away. And so it would seem like It's even more important than burying your parent. It's more important to follow me than it is to follow, uh, than it is to do this task, no matter how important that task is. So think of the first thing is it could be simply Jesus is showing the contrast. The second thing is I had to understand the culture of what's going on there. And we understand culture. We're mixed from all over. I mean, I don't know how many countries are represented here. There's all kinds of different cultures. One of the things that's totally foreign to me is the idea of face. Saving face, losing face, giving face. If you're a Canadian, you'd say face off and think of hockey. I got a Canadian back there. Um, but no, the, the, the Chinese idea of face is something that I have to learn about. And I think that's what's going on here, because what could be happening is this was the oldest son, and it would be the oldest son's responsibility to care for his parents when they die. Dad may be nowhere near death when he is saying this. It could be 10, 20 years until dad dies. And he's saying, I have my responsibility to my parents. I need to bury them. And I think when the, when the man would die, Jesus would say, go, bury him, and come back. Another thing that happens with the oldest child who has that responsibility to bury his parents is the oldest child gets the largest portion of the inheritance. And so there could be this thing going on where he says, I have my other priorities. I need to bury my father When he dies, he's not ill yet, but sometime in the next 20 years he may die, and I want to go bury him and get my portion of the inheritance. And Jesus is simply saying, no, if I'm calling you, come now. And so we look at this. 
This man is desiring to fit kingdom goals around the goals of his life and not the other way around. Kingdom goals, God's goals, God's priorities needs to take first place. And then you fit the other things around it. So no matter what those other priorities are, what those other goals are, we need to put Jesus first. And now the last one, the fifth excuse. In this one we find someone who's trying to serve two masters. He's trying to do it both ways. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Almost like the previous excuse. But Jesus replied to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus understands that it's more than just going back and saying goodbye to his family, but he's trying to keep the two priorities in equal place. He's trying to keep his old life and his new life. How many of you have ever put your hand to a plow? I'd be surprised if there's anyone here. Oh, there, we've got a few back there. Okay, good. So how does this illustration fit in Hong Kong? Because I don't think there are any plows. I don't know where I'd find a plow. Actually, a museum. I've seen some in the museums. Okay, a plow is that instrument that's used to turn up the ground so that you can plant a crop. Okay, well, let me put it into maybe contemporary English that would work in Hong Kong. No one who's driving a car will do so by looking out the back window while still going forward. You can't drive the car straight if you're looking out the back window. And I'm not counting the backup camera. Okay? hard enough backing up just with the backup camera. It's not safe. What this person is trying to do is to put both masters in an equal position. What did Jesus have to say about that in Luke chapter 6? He said, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. And so these alternate approaches are not the way that God wants us to serve. He wants to follow, He wants us to follow the pattern of Jesus, where Jesus resolutely set out to serve Him. Look for those things that fit with the acronym HELP. What will help you to be resolute in your walk with God? So I want to leave us with just this thought. I believe that Jesus is calling us to walk resolutely with Him to accomplish the calling God has put on our lives. The only question here is how will you answer the call? What will you do with that? Jesus is preparing His disciples. He knows He has less than a year with them. He wants to teach them. He wants to pour himself out to them. And I think it's no accident that at this point in his training with his disciples, he shows them the stark contrast 
between following Him and going the alternate way. Jesus is calling us to follow Him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His faithful dedication to the call that You put on His life. You called Him to go to the cross. And in this time, it was a literal walk to Jerusalem. Through the paths, through the roads that led Him to Jerusalem, that would lead Him to the cross. But He resolutely went. So Father, I ask that You would help us to evaluate this in our own life. What's going to be our answer to the call that You've, that you've put upon us? Will we set other things aside? Will we line up our priorities behind the call? Or will they become something that blocks the call? At whatever stage we are in life, young, old, married, single, kids, no kids, grandkids, whatever we have, a job, unemployed, whatever the, whatever the position in life is, may we be called to serve you. May we be, be obedient to that. In Jesus' name, amen.